we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waters where we're recording from, the Waramai and Wanarua peoples. We acknowledge the Waramai and Wanarua elders, both past and present. on the field for the Newcastle Knights. Darren Tracy's first touch of the footy. Now Andrew John. Strikes a little hole himself. He's close. Right. He reaches out. That's a try to Andrew John. Root streak from the little halfback. And that's a good reward for a great game. It is Coming to you live from Warramai and Wanderua lands, this is the Bay 53 podcast, part of the Sports Best Friends podcasting network, brought to you by A-plus contracting and poly welding. The Knights have managed to jag a win over a struggling Warriors side, and we go into the bye round with two competition points. So much is happening in Rugby League. We just had Indigenous round, it's Origin. We've got big NRLW news, rumours, innuendo, in your endo. We've got all the hot footy goss. And once again, we've brought along a friend for the ride. Bretto, the boys got it done for us. From where I sat, though, it was somewhat unbelievably so. Yeah. Um, what do you say? Like, have you ever seen a team play worse and win by more than a few couple of points? It's, it's a, um, yeah, I don't know what to make of that game. The Warriors, the Warriors were good for 10 minutes and pathetic for 70. And, mate, after those 10 minutes, it's about 12 nil down. I was just keeping my eye on the clock going, please, can we not concede more than the clock? I, I don't want to be the team that went into the record books as being co- like the team that conceded 70 by a team that also had 70 conceded on them earlier in the season. It was it was such a just a just a dog turd of a game to watch. I don't. I honestly don't get how teams mix their form so much in the game. Yeah. Like it wasn't even in the halves. Like the Warriors went from great to pathetic in the space of a set of six. Yeah. Yeah. You now the night the Knights looked absolutely inept from large portions, and then their attack looked slick for five minutes. Like it just it made no sense. Uh, Bretto, as I said, we have brought a friend along, and um, he's sort of sitting in the background, listening to us just tear our hair out as we try to comprehend what loving is, it. yeah, what is the Newcastle Knights. But um, uh, Pete, say hello, and thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, yeah, we're really excited to have you here. We've sort of chatted with you about footy a fair bit uh, over the years, and uh, yeah, welcome to the Bay Fifty Three Podcast. No worries, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Um, if you need anyone to add to the night's misery, I think you've got me right by. <laughs> <laughs> Can I start by saying, fuck you? <laughs> very willing. Very willing and very able to participate in this conversation. I feel like they put that game on just for us. <laughs> Honestly, it was it was so ugly. I had to check that there were batteries in my TV remote. And I had I had turned the game on. It was where I wasn't just looking at my reflection. It was all. <laughs> and this is a man that sat through thirty years of Parramatta. I know, I know. <laughs> so Pete, tell us a little, like just very briefly, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sort of um, what got what brought you to rugby league? How you got uh, into the Parramatta Eels? Um, tell us a little bit about as as well about what brought you to NRL Twitter and. Um, yeah, just um, give us a, give us a little bit of a rundown of uh, what is Pete, the rugby league fan. 
Ah, righto. Um, it's a it's a very short story. If um, but I suppose I I grew up in Mergen and Sherberg, so around where Steve Renoff and um, and Selwyn Cobb are from. And like literally, there was only a few things to do in the towns at that stage. Um, one of them was golf, and the other was rugby league. There was a bit of motorbike riding and horse riding, and a few things like that around. Maybe a bit of fishing, but the the primary currency for you know um, social sort of social times, but also sort of social the social currency really for for popularity was being a rugby league um, player and supporter. And my dad was. Uh, a player in the local A grade team. There was uh, a few of them, and I think uh, it really was just a, a thing that I was kind of brought into. You know, you don't really, you don't really choose to follow Parramatta because of the success. So you kind of <laughs> have to get, kind of have to get born into it. And yeah, it's just been rugby league inside and out, like inside and outside of the NRL for, you know, up until I, I sort of went to high school, and it kind of from there it's been a, a very one-sided love affair. Um, with lots of uh, lots of monumental lows and a, a couple of short, if not quite there, peaks. Um, and I think over the time I sort of gravitated towards like enjoying like the therapeutic release of swearing and yelling at the TV. Um, <laughs> and as I kind of got a life partner, she really didn't appreciate that. She's a Roosters fan. <laughs> So she wouldn't know. No. Oh, mate. Oh, oh my no. goodness. Oh, no. I know. I know. She's just successful in everything she does in her life, including getting a partner. Um, <laughs> but, like, she's just, yeah. She's coming to so us. So you were her life. karma. Hey. She had so much yeah, good yeah. stuff going on. You were the karma that dragged her out. <laughs> I could tell you what. And um, so she doesn't really know what screaming and yelling at the TV is like. You know, Patrick Herbert does those sorts of work for other people. For that, you know, instead of the other way around, like, it was just that kind of, and I, and I, she doesn't appreciate it. So I had to find another outlet for like the stupidity or the, the kind of things that I would yell at, at TV. And um, I, I just sort of was had gravitated to the the kind of like the anonymity, but also the the bluntness of of Twitter. Um, yeah, and it kind of satisfied quite a few things, like. Um, and and it was really really an opportunity to just not have her have to listen to the dumb stuff I say. So she only gets the intelligent stuff, so I don't talk much. But um, <laughs> it was really about yeah, it's like an outlet for for kind of the stupidity that I have while I'm watching football. That is just about like therapeutically not having to you know yell it. And and you can tell when like if if there is a point where like if it where I kind of like would just go through storms of like I need to get every idea out of my head right now because if I don't get it out of my head onto a page there, it's like a it's not quite like a diary, but it's a very therapeutic kind of communication tool because if I don't get it out of my head, it'll come out in conversations with her and she's like, I'm sick of hearing like jokes about Jack the Bell and uh, or the dragons <laughs> or, you know, or like how much or, or how sad the nights are or you know. Like, or, or whatever these like she didn't even know who the Tigers were because they were never on TV. Like it's just that sort of um, like they just never got any broadcast time, and and it was just like it was just that sort of opportunity to not have to you know hear my buffoonery. Mm. Um, I guess, and I, I think I know the answer to this, but I'll, I'll ask it anyway. Well, so why do you stick with the eels? 
And, and I know that sounds like a weird question for a Knights fan to ask, like, because we stick with the Knights because we're clinically insane. Like, we, we, we obviously have severe, serious emotional and psychological issues. But, you know, someone like the Eels, you know, the, you know, the, the premiership drought sort of speaks for itself. But, you know, they're, they're always a team that's still there or thereabouts. You're not sitting through three consecutive spoons. Or sort of, so, so what is it that sort of keeps you – are you just at that point now where you're so attached to them, you – you can't quit them? Uh, kind of, yes. I think we've probably won our fair share of food. food um, we were like three and four or five years ago. I think the look, the thing that draws me to them is that it's not a it's not a glamorous thing to do. It's like there is an honour in not being one of the pony boys. In yeah, the I, I agree like, with that. I agree with there's that. There's no, that's like, 100% there's no true. honor in supporting the Roosters. Like, there's no honor in supporting the Roosters. There's no honor in supporting the 90s Broncos when they won four billion things. Like, it's just not a. And there's a loyalty to like, and a, like probably a slight bit of like emotional masochism. But it's like, I, I kind of, it, it's like one Parramatta. Like, it's the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2016. Mm. It's like one Parramatta Premiership is worth. 40 Rabbitoh championships. Yeah. Like it's, not, it's not like, and I say that as, you know, I was 18 months and I was but it's not like, like it's not, there's a value in the humanity of going for this team that just doesn't come through anywhere else. Yeah. And yeah, that draft's disgusting, but, you know, probably <laughs> well, well deserved. To be um. Boys, I want to kick things off uh, with a poll that we ran on um, on Twitter. It's uh, it's probably gotten some of the bigger um, response. Oh, sorry, it's certainly the biggest response that we've sort of had to date. Um, and this all emerged from a chat that we were having in Looney Clunes uh, in the Looney Clunes chat early on Saturday morning, where we sort of. You know, particularly being a Knights fan, you're always talking about effort. You want the boys to show up and you sort of and, – and we'd sort of made a decision. We're like, look, we get that they're trying. We get that their effort. We're, we're sort of beyond the point now where we really want – we really want pride in that effort. We want to start taking pride in winning. So I put the question out there on Twitter, genuine question, Knights fans and maybe NRL fans if you're interested. What do you value in your team more? We got 286 votes to this and 53% came in with effort. And 47% came in with winning. Bredo, which do you value more and why? Winning or effort? Winning, and it's not even close. I, I think that poll's skewed by the fact that obviously the majority of people voted at Knights fans. And Knights fans have been built on the idea of the 88 team, where, you know, it was all about effort and results didn't matter. And I think that's crept into the, into the sort of soul of the club and the soul of Knights supporters. But you can, you can put in effort and lose. You can't win without effort. Mm. So to me, so to me, the winning is the byproduct of consistent effort. The knights, the knights don't don't lose because their efforts poor every week. They lose because their efforts not consistently good enough. So you know, so teams teams lift their leg when they play the knights because they know if they put in eighty minutes of effort, the knights are willed at some stage. To me, the the effort thing is just it's just a byproduct. You know, you, if you can put in effort for eighty minutes every week, like a team like the Storm do, you'll win. You know, eight or nineteen games a year. Pete, I'll get you. I don't know if you had an opportunity to jump in on the poll, but um, uh, yeah, well, where do you where do you sit on this? Are you and can I can I say as well? I feel like it's sort of got a bit lost in the poll as well. 
you can say that you like something more and still value the other. The, the question is really, which do you value more? It's not which one do you want over another, or it's certainly not saying, well, I like this one and the other one can get fucked. Um, it's about what you've, so what do you value more in your team? Is it the effort they put in or is it their ability to win? I don't think I'll be a Parramatta fan and be able to say winning but I reckon the, like for me, it's effort, but it's not, it's effort and it's the difference between speed and velocity. So effort in the right direction. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I don't, like you don't, and that's not why I'm worried about an Easter Monday loss to the Tigers or, you know, or the Sharks beating us in round two in the last minute. I'm worried about the effort and the structure that this team takes around the place because if it's not, if there isn't a, a solid building block or a foundation in that effort, then there is no chance for us to win anyway. Like, I don't know if it's because I support a different club, but I would rather they were doing the right thing with an, with a requisite amount of effort because I believe that we're at a stage where if we do that, then it is about, you know, whether you know, Mitch Kenny has a sore ankle or, you know, whether Cummins calls us for a forward pass or mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not hanging on to that at all. Uh, <laughs> or whether Archer, like, penalises fully, fully for something that everyone has been called a knock-on for all year, 2009, no one forgets. Um, it's like, it's, look, for me, the difference between this team and the, the tier that we're on, whether it's tier two, tier three, tier 2.5, the difference between us going from there to the first level is these people being able to execute this consistently under pressure with the requisite amount of effort that is going to take us from being, you know, from being an also ran again out in the first or second week of finals and the the 2016 Sharks, which, you know, they won a million games in a row, but they won a million games in a row through a bunch of effort and a bunch of like two and four point victories that they weren't afraid to, you know, understand and trust what they were doing and to get themselves traveling with effort in the right direction so a more velocitous effort as opposed to a speed one but i don't think that a team like penrith put in any more effort now than they did when they were just a you know bottom half of the top eight team i, I was literally just about to i was actually genuinely just about to ask that question brad is it that when two teams are playing against each other it's very rare that – do you genuinely believe that one team is just putting more effort in over the other? Like Melbourne didn't put 50 on us and we only scored two because they put in more effort. They, there was a lot – there were a lot of things that went in. I've no doubt that the Knights put in effort that day, but we want to see that ability to win. Like you sort of – you want to see that ability to get the two competition points to, you know, to accumulate enough wins to win a grand final because that's ultimately what you're doing in a league, isn't it? To me, the difference, I, I think the difference in it is there's effort and then there's guts, which is effort under pressure. So it's the ability that Penrith have and Melbourne have had for 20 years, that ability to, we're absolutely knackered and we've given it everything we've got, but we need to find five more percent. That's the difference. And that's, the, and that's when effort becomes guts, which becomes winning. Mm. We got some we got some fantastic um, responses to the poll. We got a few shit quote tweets as well. But uh, sorry, sorry. Quote, <laughs> <retweet>. <laughs> um, but I did. I actually really liked this one from the Mad Dragons vodcast at Mad Dragons vod. He said, uh, "Perceived effort is so subjective. 
He says, every time a team loses, their supporters accuse them of not trying. Well, I think it's a fallacy. I think effort exists 99% of the time from 99% of players. But losing sucks, so we often blame effort. I choose winning because there's no subjectivity in that. And I think whether or not you agree with that statement, I think it's actually a really interesting point is that when you lose... Effort's always the first thing you go to. Like, it's always like, oh, if you just tried harder, and it's sort of, um, particularly in those close games. But it, it wasn't the effort that, it was just that inability, particularly in a close game, it was just that inability to get yourself over the line. I mean, um, you know, Pete, you think about the Eels lost to the Panthers in, in the finals last year. They didn't lose that because of a lack of effort. They, they lost it, arguably, because one team was just, um, better structured to win than another. Oh, I sort of, I I sort of think of it slightly differently. Like these are these are kind of professional athletes who live and breathe this every day. So I don't know if like, and I like, and I might be in the minority here too. So I, I wouldn't say that my, my opinion should be like canonized or anything. But I think. If Parra are down 20 nil and there's five minutes left, I'm happy for them to switch off and lose 40 nil. I know that, like, at the end of the day, that 20 points might cost them, um, like, might cost them uh, the difference between, you know, fourth and sixth, and that's a massive, absolutely huge difference in this day and age. But I'm I'm very comfortable with them being able to do that, like, to switch off if they, if they do, if it's going to put them in a better position to win overall. Does that make sense? Like, I don't want Reed Marnie trying to tackle someone with five minutes left in a game that we are probably going to lose. No, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Sure, like, I, that's, Gus that's Gould always used to complain about this with, with, with Andrew Johns. And that was one of the reasons they sort of had a bit of a confrontation in, in 2003. Gus was trying to say to him, you can't go at 100% for 80 minutes, mate. You've you got to pick and choose your moments. And there would be games where, yeah, I, I can think of the 2002 game where we got absolutely obliterated by the Sharks, 62 to 12. And Joey was still trying in the 79th minute as hard as he was in the first in the first minute. You're like, mate, the game's over. You 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 got to you got to be smarter with the way that you're you're putting your effort in here as to where you want to um, as to what you want to achieve. Yeah, and there's a catch twenty two to that sort of thing too. Like those ultra competitors, that's what makes them great. But that's also what I think kind of you know, if you learn to control them, that's the difference between you know, like retiring with a neck injury. Mm. I say that, you know, tongue in cheek, but it's the difference between <laughs> like hurting yourself or being able to put yourself in those positions more often and that like that economizing your effort in a way that makes the overall effort be philosophers or put them in the right direction. That for me is what I care about because in the end, if you are even remotely capable and it, when games come down to things like, you know, the bounce of a ball or two points in a semi-final or, um, you know, Mitch Moses having to kick from the sideline, like when mm. it comes down to, to those moments, it's not all that effort has been lined up to that particular point, which will hopefully come in the grand final, not the point where, you know, you're putting yourself in a position that is ultimately about, um, in the micro sense, maximising the effort in that moment, but in the macro sense, going to mean that there's a, a lower ceiling in the long run. And that's the difference for me. It's between, like, trusting that 
that system. And like, I have no faith in Parramatta to be able to do this. I have faith in Penrith now and <laughs> Melbourne to be able to do it. But maximising that trajectory so that in the long run there is a, a beneficial upwards movement that peaks at the right time. And if you think about it, only ever, you know, twice, well, probably, like Penrith will probably do it again this year, but twice in the last 400 million years has someone gone back to back. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just not physically possible to continuously win. It's about tracking yourself so that in those moments that effort lines up to put yourself into the position to be able to. And that's slightly the, the conceptual difference. But me as, you know, Mike Von Loser who sits in front of his TV, I'm not I'm worried about the the instant gratification of two points more so than I am about tracking that trajectory over time, which is probably what the staff and everyone else does. You know, yeah. I think it's a, a bit of a bit of um, you know, like being short-sightedness more than it is a problem with the actual effort of the team. Like none of those dudes run out there to go half-assed. Like if you tell me Raystone wasn't trying his harder in that game against Penrith, I'll dead set walk to Perth in barefoot. But <laughs> it was about, like that's an execution problem that ultimately, if you ask me, kind of contributed very largely to a loss. But it's it, that's a maximum amount of effort. I'm happy for like, the maximum amount of effort to come out and for you not to be good enough. Like that, I'm 100% okay with that. For a long, and especially as a paramount supporter, for so long there was a culture of once you got in the door, you had made it, you had been paid, and you didn't need to um, stress yourself. So I'm more about, and that might be a cultural problem in a different power where, you know. I think, like, but I, I think you've actually tipped on something, and I, and I think I can actually safely speak for Bretto when I say, that like that's actually something we very much recognise as a Newcastle cultural problem, and it's something that we we just don't want to see in the club anymore. There, there is that mentality of making the nights means you've made it. Well, no, we want winning a premiership means you've made it. It, it shouldn't just be yeah you've made the team, so you're you're a big deal now. I want to I want to read out at least one um, comment as it relates to to pro effort. And uh, I th- I think this is an interesting one from uh, Dom Sullivan at Dom Sullivan 18 and I, and I do appreciate actually Dom's input. Um, Tigers fans don't get the best uh, coverage on our pod, so the fact that he uh, continues to interact with us, we, we do appreciate that, Dom. Um, as a Tigers fan, I can cop losing because in reality our roster isn't great, so that's okay. Obviously, I'd like to win, but if the boys have a crack and get beaten by a better side, I can cop that. Bretto? Um, like I, I get his point of view, like hundred percent. But I, I'm still of the belief that if you're a professional athlete, it's about winning. Yeah. This is this is not pub football. This is not you know, this is not park football. This is not you know everyone gets an award football. This is professional sport. Um, you know, people put their hard earned that from from us right to through to you know people like Nick Politis put their hard earned into people. Winning, so, the, so to me the efforts are no brainer. If you don't put effort in every week, on your bike, son, you shouldn't be yeah. playing professional sport. Do you, do you think they put their money into, like, into winning though? Like, is the um is the, is the yeah? Because I, of- I, I do I do in this I do in the sense of well the I'll give perfect example that we never ever thought Knights crowds would drop off. Knights crowds have dropped off dramatically this year, absolutely dramatically. Like some of those numbers that they're putting up are absolute fantasy. Um, they're not, you know, the, the crowds are dropping off because people are sick of losing. And I never thought that would happen with the Knights crowd, and it's dead set happening this year because people are just jack of losing. 
That's what you get for treating a club legend like Mitchell Pearce the way he's did. <laughs> well, let, let, let him go and root 100 shields in the south of France. Yeah, poor bugger. We did him a favour. What's this Absolutely. <laughs> Instead of living in the wettest winter ever in Newcastle, he's in the south of France frigging rooting every woman named a man. Look, that sounds like it has its own trouble, you know? <laughs> well, for Mitchell it does, but you know, the rest of us wouldn't mind it. Boys, I'll, I'll I'll keep us on track. I guess I guess the only thing, last thing that I really sort of want to say on it is that I think one thing I found interesting about the interactions was that it sort of started to become a bit of a chicken or the egg conversation. Like you sort of had people who said, "Well, without effort, you can't win," and they were the the pro effort camp. But then you had the 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 the, the other group that was like, "Well, no, winning has to be more important because if you're winning, well, obviously you've got the effort." So, in a lot of ways, I actually sort of thought it—it it was like, it, like I said, that chicken and the egg thing, where they were sort of say, "Well, which comes first? The effort. You need the effort to win, but then if you're winning, well, then you've obviously got the effort." And um, I, I think, I think one of the things that I did find out of this was that I think everybody loves everybody loves winning. Uh, but what I did notice is that everybody also just enjoys the idea that their team is going out there and putting everything that they've got into it. And I, I think I, I just, yeah, I thought it was a very interesting sort of um, uh, uh, you know, social media post in terms of uh, what it says about, you know, a lot of people and the clubs they support and what they sort of get out of it. And um, yeah, I thought it was, um, I thought it was. Can, I, can I just make one point? Pete mentioned that the, the premiership sharks, they actually won a premiership through being through putting effort in when they were no good. So even when they were winning spoons and, and down that near the table, they were always the team that very rarely got beat by much because their effort was consistent. So they had the ability to turn consistent effort into a premiership. And it's turned to the point where, what, last year was the first time they missed the finals in over a decade? Mm. And they'll make the finals again this year because that club has just got to the point now where effort is a non-negotiable. You know, they it's 100% go every week. And even when they were no good on paper, they, you know, they they won enough games to not be, you know, 2016 nights bad, but they were always in games and, and they sort of built effort into a premiership. And I think that's the key to effort. It, it's putting that effort into, then that effort then turns into winning. They had a couple of boosts, like, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. But, but guys no, come to that just, club up because they knew that club was consistent. Yeah, yeah. You know? And it, I think it's a professionalism thing. Like, Paul Gallen, for all his faults, he was, from what, from what I've heard, one of the most professional blokes ever like he'd be in the ice bath he'd be icing himself which is why he can still box at his age yeah and like and he's not even half bad at that but he is like the the way that it happens is is through i think it's effort and and my thing about when i was looking at that positive metric i think and it's more than just that team on that day but for me and it's the same thing like and and i think it's sort of like emblematic of what brett was talking about he was talking about players and putting their money in i think that it's a it's a whole club thing. Like if your attention's bad, then you might not have the effort. If you're, but I can tell you that if you have the effort, then winning might like it's more likely that you're going to have winning if you max out your effort. If you like, you can have a, a talented bunch of people that don't put in the, their max effort and they win, but that's not setting them up for long term or, or positive overall. That's benefit. the 2005 targets for mine. <clears throat> That Tigers team should not have missed the finals as many times as they did. You know, the one year, the you know, everything clicked for them. They won the premiership. And other than that, what they I think 2010 or whatever it was when they went, they got the prelim and got knocked out. You know, that would to me that was that, the groundwork of effort wasn't in that in that side. 
Yeah, it was. Oh, well, I think it, it was. Yeah, it was slightly. They were rewarded for, um, you know, the and it felt like an NBA or American sports type scenario where they were rewarded for the flashy stuff. But a lot of those efforts, like one of the dudes, like can't remember how to play shoes because he was the dude doing all the hard work. Like it's a, like some of those guys. Yeah. Um, like they, they were, they relied on others to do the dirty stuff because Bryce Gibbs. Thinking of Bryce Gibbs. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking a couple of them. Um, <clears throat> thanks, Mark. I know. Too. But it was like those guys, like they they had workhorses, but their other ones, like and a lot of them, you could probably name. Like they preferred to do the flashy stuff, and and you can see it when it's the difference between you know like uh, a Cooper Cronk who's able to set up a system that works versus uh, the uh, a Benji who's able to do some of the sexiest stuff you will ever see on a rugby league field. But I tell you what, if the chips are down, I'm not. I want prime Cooper over prime Benji, and I think the core. Oh, 100. Gareth, Gareth Ellis won that premiership, not Benji. They won that premiership because of the hard work that Gareth Ellis does. They won that because Tim Smith went out on the drink two days before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that didn't help either. You are listening to the Bay 53 podcast. We've just had Indigenous round. I want to give you guys an, an opportunity to have a bit of a chat about it. Have, Give some reflections on it. Um, you know, what, what does the round sort of mean to you? you were, you're certainly two of the, the proudest Indigenous men that I've sort of um, uh, come across, uh, certainly on, on from my interactions on social media. Um, yeah, the, the floor is yours. Uh, take it take it away. Share, share your thoughts on, on the weekend that's just been. Go on, Pete. Go for your life, mate. Uh, look, for me, I'll go in. Yeah, look, for me, uh, it's the... It's a it's a it's a showcase event. I think a lot of people see it as like the round itself as a um, it's 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 a lever in a progressive movement. It's not the whole thing, and it's not all the work that needs to be done. Like a lot of people will park the the car after reconciliation round, as opposed to you know have to see it as nothing more than uh, a, a a refueling of the vehicle, if that makes sense. Um, to me, it's it's amazing to see, like even even in the Eels game, like Xavier Savage, even though he didn't score, to get up and celebrate like that. Like for me as a kid, those things were compartmentalised and they were compartmentalised away from the rugby league field. For those two things to be married together now is uh, like a very proud thing. But it's one of the things that you know, as that becomes more prominent, it's one of the things that we need to understand that it's you know. Uh, a cyclical reminder of progress in the in the process, not a you know a be all and end all. That's the, that's what I'd say about it. Um, but what and those jerseys too, like watching and doing and seeing those there, like it, it's my favourite round. And I know that it's not going to be for everyone, and it's not something that I think everyone has to be kind of self conscious about. And don't read the Facebook comments is another thing I'd say. <laughs> but um, it's one of the like it's a joyous occasion for the highlighting of a cause that you know. I kind of am the, I would want to be both figuratively and literally the, the embodiment of, um, like as a, as a, like as a proud, as a, as a proud Aboriginal father, but also as a, as a non-Indigenous person, like what, and, and watching those two worlds kind of come together. Uh, the sporting field was one place where that could always happen in a, in a, in a, 
in a in a sanctuary more so than in some of those more hypercharged environments that were you know in and around those sports fields. And I think it does a couple of things like bringing that in um, into that space, like puts it yeah, like I said earlier, a showcase, but it makes a, a broader suite of people aware of some of the things that they can do to, to promote reconciliation and and to do the things that like they used to do, where it's like put those voices and amplify those voices to um, have messages of pro-indigeneity or pro-Aboriginal voices to to be able to, to talk and think about issues and to kind of um, instruct allies or those people that are you know uh, kind of even agnostic to the process, not antithetical, but agnostic to the process to get involved in it even. And it wouldn't happen if it wasn't for things like rugby league putting that at the front and centre of, you know, around that. Um, and in a way, like with working countries and involving people around the place and, and starting that conversation around, you know, what can we do to make it better? Um, to me, the thing I really like about it is I, I think Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, men and women, but, you know, talking about rugby league here and sort of the NRL, not the NRLW, um, we get sort of boxed that, you know, our culture is sport. Like our culture is rugby league, you know, like we love rugby league. And all that's true, you know, like. Sport is the basis of most Aboriginal communities. You know, it's the one thing that we, everyone's involved in. But to me, yeah, the things like the Xavier Savage dance and things like that, it just sort of so showcases the rest of it. So it, it showcases that, yeah, we've got incredible athletes, and men and women. You know, we've got incredible leaders, you know, that do the, the welcomes and the acknowledgements, all that sort of stuff. But it shows the cultural stuff. You know, it shows that people like Xavier Savage, you know, like doing a dance, doing a cultural dance, you know. Um, I used to love Tyron. I was doing the shake a leg because he got my boys loving the shake a leg. Like my boys knew about the shake a leg, you know, they've done it since they little, but they love seeing a guy in a red and blue jersey doing the shake a leg. And, um, you know, that's what it really does to me. It sort of highlights that we're not just, you know, football players. We're not, you know, we're, we're a culture of 60 to 80,000 years. And that is a way that we can bring everyone in together. Um, you know, reconciliation's a long way off and all that sort of stuff. But it actually sort of just highlights things that we have in common, you know, things that white people can go, oh, okay, I sort of want to say that. Like, I really enjoy that a lot of times during the All-Stars game or during Indigenous Round, things like that, I'll get quite a lot of DMs by going, oh, you know, what did that, what did that mean in, in the ceremony? Or, you know, or what was that about, you know? Like, or, I'll, you know, people will be asking, you know, what's the meaning of welcome to country and acknowledgement of country? Those little questions that people wouldn't ask sort of get to the foot of the forefront. And to me, that, that's, that's a real, real big part of it. It really just sort of glaze a platform on a national scale to just ask those little questions and to me that's really important yeah and, and i think the, the one thing that is that for a long time it was uh, my culture didn't keep into that professional arena and it was like sorry pete pete i'm we're just i'm just losing you a bit on the microphone oh, no, you're right it's probably my chin my extra chin pulled over the microphone here. But it was, can you hear me now? Yeah, mate. Okay. It was more about, um, like, culture was, was 
like you abstain from culture while you were a professional and to, to now see and be and watch those things kind of uh, pervade the, the rugby league arena it, it, it's good to see and feel and start to think about being able to be, be proud and to be kind of remind your individuality or your identity isn't lost even though you're in uh, a team those kind of moments and those kinds of things are, for me, like the, the first time, you know, uh, it Latrell got the, the kangaroo years or, or it was probably more so with Stephen Campbell probably did it once or twice and, and Greg Inglis still in the Galena. Like those types of moments and those types of things, like there's not a, there is a very, there's not enough words for me to be able to describe because even though, like, they're not my people, we're not white people, do you know what I mean? And and, and watching and being a part of those moments really um, made me proud to be who I was, knowing that we could be who we were no matter where we were. Like, there was no need to, to be whitewashed or You could be who you were, where you were, in any professional environment and even on TV. And that was the thing I think that, like, had kind of been missing. As you kind of understood that you could be heterogeneous or you could kind of be yourself, be different or be non-white default, then it kind of, it means that now we get to have the conversation around, all right, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? How do we get forward together and what kind of systems and uh, do we have to dismantle? Like what kind of conversations do we have? How do we do it? And what sort of progress can we have? And if anything, just being that catalyst for, for a conversation is, is more than enough value for that showcase. But it, it, it probably is more than that. Bruno, I want to ask you about the uh, Knights Indigenous jersey. I, I, I understand. Because it's sort of been a bit of a bone of contention, particularly with the way the Knights have sort of done it over the past few years. I mean, the, the NOB logo, logo sort of talks for itself. But uh, off air, you've sort of been quite positive about what the Knights managed to put together this year and, and the way they went about it. Yeah, this, I think this was our, our best jersey. The NOB thing, you know, that's always going to be disappointing, but it is what it is. It's not going to change. No point, you know bleating about it all the time. Um, now, it's special to me because my, my nation's on it. There was a, The community um, representation was on it. It represented all the nations from north and northwest New South Wales, you know, so there was third, 13 nations on there. It was just really into, well integrated. It was a not, really nice piece of art, and it was really special, you know. It sort of represented all the nations in the Knights catchment, and I know a lot of people, you know, whether it's, you know, up where I am, Camilleroy, you know, or out at R- you know, up at Bunjalung, you know, everyone was really it was represented, really, really liked it. So it was it was it was a home run for mine. Pete, how'd the eels go? This uh, year? I thought, yeah, I thought it looked good. Hey, I was I was pretty happy with the um you know the the whole setup and the Barramadagal and all of that like across the chest. I think the like the it was pretty progressive in the sense that it recognized the it recognised the link between language and identity, and then identity and and how to promote that in a, in a positive way. Um, I think the next the next kind of move for each of these teams as they go through kind of 
their, um, you know, evolution of how to appropriately do like reconciliation week or the or the indigenous round jerseys is for them to start thinking about, you know, not just who like which colours from our football team can we do, but if we're linked to a geographic area, you know, everyone apart from the dolphins, um, if we're linked to a ge- <laughs> if we're linked to a geographic area, then like how do we get those people involved in the jersey so that that jersey is a representation of say Parramatta more so than just you know an artist that's in the area that makes it look sexy you know what i mean like it's, mm. it's a difference between uh, a kind of a cultural center to the art as opposed to an artistic center to the art and both are both are absolutely valuable but i think that next level and layer of connection a couple of teams do it and um i think this is the next layer to be able to say that this is a you know a, a, a holistic kind of exercise in that you know lays right across the top of um Exactly what we want to do, which is, you know, that kind of, um, that kind of understanding of shared histories, but also the the appropriate kind of way to recognise that geographic link and to tie that back to, you know, the Aboriginal history and traditions, and the appropriate Aboriginal traditions and traditions, not just the, you know, the non-white people. Yeah, Bredo, Pete sort of, I was literally going to ask the, the, the next thing I was sort of hoping that you'd, you'd both have a chat about, but um, yeah, Brett, uh, Pete sort of jumped right into it. Bredo, what, what do you think the league can do next? What, what do you think that the league, the Knights, can do to take it a, a, that next step in terms of what they, how they recognise uh, Indigenous players, Indigenous peoples and, and Reconciliation Week? Um. I don't know. I don't, I honestly, mate, I don't know how willing the NRL are to go any further. It's sort of, you know, it's one thing to have some ideas and whatnot. I don't, but I just don't think that the NRL are ready to take it a step further. I Do think you think they the should o- be? Should they be, though? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like, yeah. this is, people don't understand, like, this is a really big hot-button issue at the moment in the country. Um, you know, the, the Uluru Statement from the Heart and all that sort of stuff, like, this is a real big issue, not just in the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community, but amongst you know, amongst a lot of the country, um, I, I kind of it kind of upsets me the NRL sort of stand on the outside and that sort of stuff. Like you know, they're willing to take on the fight for um, gay and lesbian rights, which was 100 percent the right thing to do and exactly what you know they should be doing. But they sort of haven't seemed to be willing to take this fight up. Mm. So I don't, I don't, honestly don't know how willing they are to sort of to do that. And um, yeah, I just think any any ideas of how they can is is sort of irrelevant because I don't think it's going to happen. Pete? Uh, like, I also kind of think, too, like, and I'm uh, a really big believer in, like, if football players are your only role models, you're probably in a bit of trouble. But I, I don't know if rugby league or, or the NRL, not so much rugby league, but NRL has, like, a lot more of a role to play. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. They can showcase and they can start conversations. The, the next and probably only... The, the next bit that I would probably follow that up with is is a, a layer of kind of commentary education. So, like, if it's Joey, if it's um, uh, if it's Phil, if it's Bossy, if it's uh, whoever, start to think about, you know, if you want to learn more about this, this is what you do, this is how you go, this is where you, this is where you need to start thinking about how to educate yourself because rugby league can only do so much of that for you. Um, like it's great that they showcase that and that they start that conversation, but that translates into action is is a little bit more of um, uh, a think about how you know your heart, your mind, your actions can can really move forward that way to create that nation. And for Australia to really do that, 
fit stuff. There's a, it can't all be up to Aboriginal people or talk about other people, but like, part of that's got to be owned by yourself if you want that to happen. Like, you can't be too passive about it because kind of, mainly because the curriculum, but also some of the societal structures in the way it's got is, isn't set up to be that yet. And, and like, the NRL would only have a, a small figure of that for me, but, like, it, it probably could take a bit more of a big step, but I, I just don't know... Um, how much more of it, it it should be on the NRL as opposed to the individual. Boys, um, you mentioned before, like, the power that sport can have to start that conversation to to sort of open up people's eyes, you know, not not just from, you know, not just from a, a, a white person's perspective looking in, but, you know, as two, you know, young Indigenous boys yourselves, were there any Indigenous players that you looked to um, who were playing when you were boys, who were sort of, you know, I don't know, inspired you or you sort of looked to them and said, oh, you know, they, they've, they're they treading a path that sort of, um, you know, pushes me to want to do something more or, or takes my... Was there anybody who really stood out um, when you were when you were young boys watching the game? For me, it was Uncle Ash Gordon. You know, I sort of, I idolised Mal Meninga and, and guys of the 80s, but like, and then, but Ash Gordon... You know, once he sort of become the Knights, and then I, he was not only you know the Knights' first signing and the Knights' first you know their the big name Indigenous player and that sort of stuff. He also did a lot in, in community, and he you know he come out at the schools regularly. And you've seen him about the place, so to me it was Ash Gordon. You know, I I used to see him everywhere, and then he, you know he, he sort of scoring tries the Knights on the weekend. He um to me he sort of showed that you know you can have this this sort of famousness that comes with being a Newcastle Knight. But he was so humble when he was in community, and you know, he just wanted to listen to kids and and help kids and stuff. So yeah, he was he was the hero for me. I kind of like for me there was there was probably two speeds to it. There was like those local A grade heroes. Like I I would go and watch my dad every weekend. Um, and at those days, you used to get two dollars for being the sandboy or the ball boy too. Um, <laughs> that's how old I am. It was like sandboys as well. <laughs> Uh, still to this day, I preferred to be sandboy because you only had to do half the running. Um, but the like for me, there were local heroes like my dad. Um, uh, so a couple of them have passed on now, but like those local heroes, you know, he, his name that I really want to mention. One of them, one of them was was uh, Sando's dad. He was fantastic. I still to this day um, can remember a game where two Sherberg teams played in Sherberg. This answer and, explains a lot, just quietly. And it was like, yeah, it does. Um, but it was 30, 31, 31 all. And um, like, so, like, one team had scored, kicked a field goal. The other team scored, kicked a field goal. And it just went back and forth. Two field goals missed from point blank with um, with no time left on the clock, either of them. And it was a, it was an amazingly fantastic kind of celebration in 19, I think it was 96. Um, and I still I think about that match to this day, and it was still the greatest rugby league match ever. And all of my heroes were a part of that game. Um, my, like he, he made my auntie. Yeah? James Saltman was a part of it, um, and and it was just a, a magnificent kind of embodiment of what country or mission rugby league was, and it was fantastic. Um, but as far as NRL players go. Um, Leo Leo Denver was one that, that broke through. Oh us. yeah, oh uh, yeah, yeah. From Arthur, so it was always good to watch someone from home do that, even if he was doing it for the worst team in the comp. 
Um, <laughs> the what's Western, your fucking uh, mouth out? No, he's <laughs> talking about the Western. He's what talking about Western suburbs. <laughs> um, what's it? Yeah, what's it? Yeah, I think the. But for me, there, there's a difference between like, and I and I sort of touched on it before, where I was like, those ones that brought Indigenous people to the fore. So, like, the Preston Campbells for me will have one of the biggest footprints in kind of Indigenous rugby league because of what he did for the All-Stars game. So so watching him win that Valley M as one of the smallest on the field, that was amazing. Um, but watching him, like, Thurston for another reason, and it has nothing to do with football. He was, he was a footballer. But the, like, Thurston, after the first All-Stars game, talking about, like, he didn't have as much of a connection as he wanted, so he went to stand out about it. Like, he went and started to, to you know, enhance his knowledge of who he was and where he was from. That kind of stuff is fantastic. The, like GI putting that goanna in front of everyone the way that it did was like I still get goosebumps about the first time I saw it. It was absolutely I still get goosebumps. But to me, the the one that like, there was the the Simon boys from Illawarra. I, I, I think I love watching them. Um, but I, I think the one that really for me was the one that like meant a lot as a as a rugby league player but also as an indigenous dude was was being witted. But I still and I, I kinda I don't see uh, a lot of myself in Dean Witters, but I'm a thick dude too. So watching <laughs> watching him run around and do that. Um I've got a signed Dean Witters. I've got two jerseys in my house um signed that, that I've got hung hanging up. One of them is Paleocena and the other is Dean Witters. And Dean Witters is there not just because he played for Para and not just because I like the way that he played, but he was always he was always indigenous and he was always not uncompromising about what that indigeneity was. And when I think it was Fletcher, or when someone said something to him about it, he was very open and honest about how that hurt him too. Yeah. Like you can't put a price on the the rawness or the empathy that you would feel or the the kind of absolutely the translatability of that moment of what that felt like for other Indigenous people. Like, that was an absolute and um, kind of thorough rec- uh, sort of recount of exactly what it feels like at times and and where no one's able to kind of um, really effectively sort of capture the dehumanising moment. And that was the first time that I've seen it done well in rugby league was when Dean talked about it. Like, and he had a... He had a he had an appropriate reaction where if if or um, kind of if and or when that had happened to me, I would have reacted, I would say, slightly violently, but he, he did the right thing. Do you know what I mean? Like he, he did what he thought was right in that moment and it was probably uh, like overall or in the in the grand scheme of things the right thing to do because that became an edited moment full stop. And it's that kind of stuff that made me really happy. I will also say that that jersey has high marking for them. It, it, it's a, um, I've got a Dean Witters Game Year 2005 jersey hanging on my wall. So that is <laughs> Boys, um, I, yeah, I, I do appreciate the um, the uh, the insight, and I guess um, the thoughts. You're obviously two um, two two men whose opinions I um, I value on the topic quite highly. I'm no expert. I just love the game, but more than that, I love the community. If you're a fan of rugby league or the NRL, you'll love Big T's Tees. 
unique, affordable, and made for fans. Find a link to the online store in the show notes below. You'd look good in one of Big T's tees. Um, let's talk some footy. Let's um, let's let's really bring the conversation down a notch or two, though. And um, it's going to be a, it's going to be something of a very sort of um, directed uh, around the grounds uh, to this episode. Um, we, we're really only going to deal with two games. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I can't remember off the top of my head what happened with the rest of the um, with the rest of the weekend. Um, Bretto, in in ten words or less, how did the Knights win this game? Uh, a little too much composure at vital stages. Right now, um, I was you went at the you went at the Broncos game, and this is a little bit of a this is going to be a little bit of a long story, but um, you know, bear with me. So you, you went with me at the Broncos game. So when I left the stadium after, well, you know, we won't go over it again. But after what was one of the worst experiences at, at footy I've ever had in my entire life, I was so down on this team. I was so down on this team. And I cannot recall a game I wanted to watch less than the Knights and the Warriors game on Saturday. And so um, uh, at the end of it, you know, the Knights have got the win. And I said, I said, I hate this team and I feel nothing. And you called me the nastiest thing you've ever said to me since I've met you. I'm, I'm, I'm still recovering. You, you compared me to the worst person on the planet. Yeah, but, that may have been a bit harsh. But I, I do want to. I going back over it now. There was a very distinct air of negativity around around, and you you did say something. You're like, mate, you've just spent all day telling me that you value winning over it. We've just won, and you're carrying on like this, and you, you stormed off. And I was like, Whoa, that's a... yes, you were right. But I actually wanted to just give a bit more context to what I'd <laughs> what I'd said. I cannot stress to you how dead I was inside after that Broncos game. Like, I swear, something died inside of me after that. Like, And maybe it was just the all-round experience. But I do want to explain the, the hatred part. The reason I hate this team so much is that I finally managed to give up on them and they come along and win like that. And it's the mafia, man. They just drag you back in again. <laughs> And I yep. was so ready. I was. I was just. I was so resigned to them losing on Saturday that I was almost annoyed at them for winning on Saturday because I felt like they were winning just to spite me to prove me wrong. Oh yeah, I completely get that. Like you know, like don't get me wrong. Like I, hundred percent with you on that. Like, um, I. But but you are right. Like at the end of the I'm day, just sick, I'm just sick of losing. The, the, yeah. my, my point was like we're just we just we're just so sick of losing. Yeah, yeah. we suck. We didn't play well. There's no doubt about that. But we bloody won, and you know, night yeah. fans can't be bloody can't be choosers when they're happy about winning and losing, mate. No, I, take yeah. the win when you get them. Yeah, no. Look, I I think you are. I I think overall you are probably right. I um. Um, mate, ten minutes into that game, when we scored, and to be to be honest with you, the the two tries that the Warriors scored, they just looked so easy. They just look like we made them look so much better than they were on the game when on the day when they took that opening lead. Um, I genuinely had concerns about where that game was going to go for the rest of the afternoon. Oh yeah, and you know, and that's the one thing I was impressed out of the game. Like you know, we always win to the Knights once they. Things go against and they drop their bundle. Mm. Well, they fought back and won. 
Mm. You know, they didn't play well, but, you know, and the, and the Warriors, you know, did everything they could to lose, but they still fall back and won. They didn't do what we'd expect the Knights to do, which is just completely throw the game away after the start they had. But, um, I mean, I heard Jacob Sofidi was interviewed today for the Herald, and he said, you know, 10 nil sitting on the bench, he thought, here we go again. You know, he openly admitted that they were just like, well, this is just going to happen again to us. Um, so it's not just us, I think, that. The players have got that in their heads too. So credit to them because they fall back and won. Uh, the game finished 24-16. to 16. So from 12-0 down after 10 minutes, we actually outscored them 24-4 to 4 over the final 70 minutes. And I think, I think you're right. I actually think that is um it, it's good resolve it, it's it's the sort of response you want to see from the team that um that you know given the way the first half has, of the season has gone and it hasn't panned out how we we hoped and anticipated um that last 70 minutes certainly does more than make up more than make up for for what we saw in those first 10 minutes i mean how many times have we had that exact opposite game at home where we've played 70 minutes Mm. Just used to do that. We'd get a ten point lead, twelve point lead, and and play. You know, like it was nice that it went our way for a change. That's all I'm taking. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not jumping over hoops about you know how we played or anything. But there's some positive signs the way we played and mm. showed a bit of resolve when it mattered. That I'll I'll take it. Yeah. No, Pete, I'll, I'll get you in on this as an outsider sort of looking in. Um, you did mention uh, off air that it wasn't the prettiest game to watch as an Eels fan watching that game. What was your take overall in terms of the, the result, the two teams, uh, rugby league as a whole? I wanted to burn the whole sport down. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted no one to play it ever again. And we all had to go and be Waratahs and Red. Uh, uh, I think, like, yeah, the problem is the the competence, not the not the effort. I don't think like some of them were trying hard. They're just not very good. Like, and I know that sounds harsh to say. And in a in a system or a game where the difference between you know losing and winning is the bounce of a ball, or, or three or four percent on any given day, and literally like most like the bottom, the middle. 13 teams could all beat each other on any day. Yes. I think it, it was a it was a matter of um, it was execution under fatigue and duress or, or fatigue and stress, not a matter of not wanting to. Do you, if that if that's right, because there have been times where the Knights have given up. Like I've I've watched them and I thought like there there are a couple of people here who aren't giving their all, and the moment one part of the dam gives way. The water just rushes through. I think the, the for them, if it, like hats off for the for the resilience of getting through that that first ten minutes. And then I think outside of that, it comes to a point where I think the the Warriors are, are looking for excuses to to not have to continue to front up, whether it's because of their coach. Oh, so I was hoping he beat you so bad. And <laughs> <laughs> you're an asshole. You're a flat out asshole. Like, I was like, oh, this is going to be a great search and retweet after ten minutes. I was like, oh, you're going to be so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you were very close to getting muted or blocked. I tell you what, <laughs> like it's an uninspirational leadership of like from a, from an organisational perspective, or whether it's like it's too long away from home. Like, I, I, like, uh, and those rats that they don't want to go back across the Tasman are jumping shit now. Like even if it, if it's that, like I think there is a there is a like it's not like 
like they're just not a a dedicated outfit for 80 minutes at this stage because you know for any one of a number of reasons but mostly because and it's understandable where they haven't had that you know every second week connection to who they are and where they're from and their home home it must be particularly hard for them. I couldn't imagine yeah. that's going. I'll tell I just you what, to... buddy. Like a lot of Warriors, a lot of Warriors fans and NRL fans think the Warriors will go home and and sort of start winning. I I don't think so. I I think if the Dogs win the competition, I think they'll win. They would win the spoon because they'll go home and it'll help for a week. But it'll be back to normal. Teams will enjoy the atmosphere going over there to play them. You know, it'll be a great yeah. atmosphere. Think they won't win because they're at home. This team has got no resilience. They're just not good. Like there's a lot of players there that are just not first graders. And and their, and their coach is the second worst coach in the comp. Now now Barrett's gone. He's the worst coach in the comp. Like it's yeah, they're just they're just not very good. I don't I think that they you know that they'll be better at home, but they're not going to be better, but I don't think it's just going to win them games like everyone thinks they will. No. No. Can I, I just think, I think what I think what going home will do for them though is give them a like it'll give them what was missing, like or, or what they thought was missing, and then make them realise that, you know. It, they weren't 100% correct and that they didn't just need to be home, they needed to go home and work. And, and that might be, like that extra bit and inspired to do that is kind of probably what a man going to do or a Craig Bellamy or a, or a Brad, Brad Arthur. So I can't even say that without laughing. Like, or, or, you know, <laughs> what one of the inspirational coaches does or one of these generational coaches does versus what a, what a Brownie does. It's like, all right, we're home now, let's try and get this to go and just like sound like a black And that's what I feel like they're at. Can I quickly give a shout out to? Um, I thought this was the tweet. This has been my favourite tweet of the week. Uh, Jamie at Swartzy, who generally has his finger on the pulse when it comes to all things ex Knights coaches. He said, "How good are Mondays after beating your bum ass ex coach who ruined your life for several years?" Um, I want to. Uh, I want to have a go back to the Knights just very um, quickly. Um, that suits both of us. That quote suits both teams, by the way. Sorry. That, that quote says both teams, by the way, yours and mine. How do you mean? Ricky Stewart. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but that, but the difference is Ricky actually could coach at Parramatta. Now, Ricky was a great coach. I really liked his work at Parramatta. Yeah. He's a bum. <laughs> now, we ran him out of town because he was too good. He's <laughs> your Parramatta and you don't like to win. Correct. <laughs> Um, I want to talk about this will be a topic that's very close to um, everyone's heart who's uh, got a microphone here uh, at the moment is uh, Anthony Milford. I thought he had a cracking game. I thought um, I thought he did everything that we thought a sort of um, bargain value Anthony Milford was going to do for the Knights and more. And uh, I'm loving what I'm seeing from him so far in the two games that he's played for us um, this year. That's the thing about Milf. Milf's a bloody good football player when he's motivated, and he seems motivated at the moment. You know, how like, good was he? A bloody good. How good? Yeah, was that's right. And he's always been a good. He's, he's, he's yeah. always been a, a good hit man when he wants to. That's that's the Milford he's best. Like I'm not saying you know he's ever going to be the you know the 2015, 2016 Broncos Milf again, but motivated Milf's still a top, you know, a top half of the NRL half. Like it's just just reality. The idea that you know that Knights fans were going, well, he's, he's just garbage and you can't pay him any money is just insane. Yeah, he's not a million dollar half anymore, but for the two hundred thousand we're paying him, bloody fantastic business for my eye. Pete, I'll I'll get your thoughts on it, and just remember, um, 
Knights fans are predominantly listening to this, but also I had to scrub my Twitter feed for as far back as I could tell of every single Milford content that I could find when there was just a whisper that we were going to um, that we were going to sign him. Trust me, I came looking. <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't done because I haven't done mine. I'm surprised you haven't done mine yet. I haven't no, done mine. I mean, yeah, I think the the pleasure that you take in that is just like favoriting one old one when there's a whisper, so you know, so they know that you know, yeah. that you know. That yeah, it's, yeah. It's like, and, you, and you always find a real obscure one. That's the one. Yeah. That's you're right. That's what annoys me the most when you find one from 2017 that's had one like and nobody's seen it because at midnight on a bloody Tuesday, and you find that one. You're right. That's what annoys me the or the or the slightly out of context ones like where if, if like if you search for the word milk there's like like god i hate looking at milk or something like that and then you just like, oh, yeah, yeah. i know that you know i've searched for this and when he's coming yeah yeah absolutely just one of them too and it's just one of them and it's that like if you quote it with the the soccer coach or the google like the black guy giggling it's like yeah. That proper coach is like is just so amazingly slow motion. The pain, the the moment, I can feel that gif every time I see it. So good. <laughs> um, but I think no, he's fantastic. Like, and and I think it's the thing that rugby league fans don't ever consider. It's that there's a band of appropriateness for every signing. It's just some people are paid above and some people are paid below that. Like, if you get milk on $200,000, you are laughing. Because even if he doesn't, um, even if he doesn't play a single game, you can guarantee that, like, when you are older as a half, or, or that, you know, I'd say that the correlation between anyone that can last long enough, yeah, and I still to this day think he was a 2015 Dalian winner. But if you can, uh, Dalian? Clive uh, Churchill? Uh, Clive Churchill. Yeah. If you sit and watch them, they have time and vision and and can teach those kids that you have coming through, and it's worth way more than two hundred thousand dollars. And the the kind of the economy of scale that you can get from investments in players like that, no one ever thinks of. Like if you tell me that seven thousand Broncos fans are turning up on a Friday night to watch the Wooden Spoon Broncos, and five thousand of them aren't there to watch Payne Hart, I'll dead set eat my shoe because there was no one else. That team stunk. That team stunk so bad that the giant like garbage tip down at Darrow was thinking this place stinks and I wish it wasn't downwind. There is no way that Payne Haas isn't worth $3 million to that Broncos team because of what a commercial kind of investment he is. And that's it's bigger than what that band that he has paid into before. Now, like the salary slightly hamstrings that investment, but you're like, I think that like there there is a real not short sightedness but shallowness to the way that a rugby league fan looks at a pay packet and thinks whether that's worth judging by how many hit ups, how many meters he makes, how many you know, how, whether he can fake an ankle for a grand as a grand final pullback or, or whatever. Oh, whatever. Pete, make make no mistake that that's actually one of the reasons I think Bruno and I uh, uni- universally agree that a million dollars for a Kalen Ponga for five years. Is outstanding value because of the corporate and commercial. All, all I'm hearing is Pete saying KP's underpaid. I think that the return on investment that the the Newcastle Knights get for Caelan Collins is at least eight to one in their favour 
But the, the problem with that then is that if you're Kalen, you do agitate for that extra $200,000 because at the end of the day, that $200,000 is the difference between, like, you're getting the same amount of CTE whether you, oh, he's got a headgear on, so it's probably protected. Shout out to NRL. <laughs> but, Shout out like, to NRL Physio. That, that CTE that you get is, is not going to be, like, that $200,000 is needed for him to take care of himself when his knees give way from bouncing around and tearing people apart. When he, like, when he starts to get really bad medical problems, when he's 60 and no one cares about him and men of league might turn up for five minutes. Like, if you look at, like, and I don't know too much about this story, but the, one of the maddest <laughs> dudes that I ever saw Rob, was Luke O'Donnell. And Luke O'Donnell running around on a football field, like, putting his head in places that no one else would do it, doing, like, the hard yards, and then to end up like he did and for mm. you to tell me that CTE doesn't exist or shouldn't be paid for or isn't part of what matters when a player is looking at their contract, like there is, there is a, there is a watershed moment coming where that, like the absolute kind of holistic effect on a footballer, is realised by the the average football fan, and I don't think they have. Like, if anyone who's played football now, like Joe Blow. You know, down the street, like if you have meniscus problems now that were from when you paid like under 12 footy, like there are still people who have real problems, but it's like it's not at the scale of those people who are getting CTE from these injuries by running up and down against not farmers like they were in the, in the late 90s and they just let you run down a sideline and throw a game final and try. It was like, <laughs> like you're running up against like people who are, are like the most absolutely machine like animals on the planet to like literally collide with you at full pace like it's not it's no, I, know, not I know what you're saying it's it's so, like phil gould phil gould said only a couple of years ago he says i always laugh when people say that the game's going soft he said it, the game is the heart it's never been this it's never been harder it is the hardest yeah. it's ever been yeah like it's not hard to run out of the line and elbow someone in the mouth like that's probably closer to cowardice than it is to like um than it is to like being a hero or being hard. Mm. Like the, the the most difficult thing for me is like running. Like imagine running into like Nigel Palmer at full pace. Or no, thank imagine, you. Like yeah, imagine, I always imagine, think of Fooey Fooey Moy Moy. They, they always used to compare the collisions he'd um, he'd sort of uh, create to that of a car accident. And I sort of um, yeah, no thanks. I'll, I'll pass on that. Yeah, it's absolutely or when Carmichael would bring it back from fullback. There's not a chance on uh, until Frank Pitchard ended that. But there's not a chance on God's green earth that these people don't deserve to be paid a, a, a larger amount than what they are. So I don't have any problem with them doing the project. But the, the value that someone has, and Milfat $200,000 is a perfect example. He's going to bring people through that gate and be like just on probably that sort of publicity alone going to get way more than $200,000 worth. So I'm happy for, you know, if in the next year or two he starts to agitate for more money. Like it's, I don't, and it's such a short-lived thing, but the the effects are forever. Like if you get knocked out and you don't remember your kids' names in 15 years, no one's going to be there to care. Like that fan doesn't care. So I don't know why this person has to care about it in their contractual negotiations. I'm not, I'm not built like that where I need this person to exhaust themselves because they have a contract that says A, B, and C. And I'm, I know I'm not the average fan, but 
like Milfon two hundred thousand dollars is such a good investment, and I'm I'm happy that you've got him because you know if he if you do get the grand final, you know he shouldn't have been this one. <laughs> he must have been doing something to impress someone at the Knights coaching staff because. Uh, I mean, he ha- he'd been out of the game, um, you know, he hadn't played a, a, a game this year. He comes in, he joins us late. He obviously has to wait until his off-field sort of um, issues are, are finished. Um, and then, you know, five weeks, five-week training block, and they put him straight into the into the starting team. You could look at that and sort of say, well, maybe the Knights were desperate. I mean, maybe we were, but that's still a big punt to take on this player who's a, who's a huge unknown. So he must be doing a lot of things right in the background that the coaches are recognising. Yeah, I agree. And the thing is, like, and, and it's not like you don't have a couple of, like, you know, A-grade level or experienced players. There's, there's an opportunity for you to play a few guys there. Um, I wish you'd turn into, like, 13 middles because I tell you what, that's my rugby league dream. And it, yeah, probably at, the, probably at the point where you can expand and have 13 spots. But I think, like, Milf being able to do that, like, he has a level, like I was saying before, like a level of patience and composure and vision that them other ones that haven't been around for too long probably don't have. Mm. Um, and, and he's, and it's not at a, and it's not to the point where the game's graduated past what his skills are, but he's still seen those sliding and shift defenses. Yeah, that's it. No, that's exactly right. That He was, because pl- he was playing that role, because Bredo and I have sort of, and, and I'll bring you in on this, Bredo, we, we've sort of been talking a lot this year in terms of, we don't, we just don't seem to have the players in the spine. I mean, absolutely, hooker we don't at the moment, that complement each other. Like they all, they're all doing their best. And in isolation, they're, they're doing a good job at various times. But there were times that, like, not since maybe oh, round one, have, have has that one six seven and nine looked like they were working together, like they knew their role, like they were complementing each other and and getting the best out of each other for the side, and and it sort of felt like at times they were starting to do that a little bit on Saturday. Yeah, and I think it's because yeah, no, I, like, like I think it's because like Milk can sometimes the, um, take can, can I just say one like, thing? The, the 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 different the difference is that um, Milf actually. Oh, how do I put it? He 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 actually gets gets on the front foot in terms of guys can see what he's about to do. So so a guy like a player like Kalen, Kalen to me doesn't um doesn't have the the idiosyncrasies where his teammates know exactly where he's going to go with the ball, which is his big advantage. Why his defenses don't know either, and Milf's like that too. But Milf actually you know has he he dip his shoulder, he'll, you know he'll mm. flick his his head, you'll actually know where he's going with the ball. And a couple of times there, I seen where he just, you know, he just gave this little sort of a dip of the shoulder, and someone knew that that he was going to get short on that side. Big, and that's just experience. Like you can't learn that stuff, and yeah. then, you know, and that and that's a bit, and that's a bit of the stuff that Mitch Pierce used to do. But obviously, you know, sort of come last year, he was a bit past his best. But you know, he, guys would actually know where he was going with the ball, which I don't think we because Clunes do when um, Jake's had his issues away from the field and sort of missed a bit of training and stuff. They sort of yeah, they they went on that same page. I think Mitch Pierce is at his best now, doesn't by the joke you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree. Like Milf takes that certain compart- like that compartment of the field and is able to have it under control. He's able to communicate what he's gonna do. And I think it's that communication that helps that opens up that right side a bit. Uh left your left side attack, but the right side of their defences. And and what that does is give a bit of space to KP and all he needs is half a step, but give a bit of space to KP. And I saw it uh two weeks ago. Where like sometimes KP has a skip and it and the defense, uh, the attacks come in so flat 
that they kind of overstep where they need to be. But he's done the skip. He's got yeah, outside yeah. and he's given best the ball in the perfect spot to be able to take it. And and it's starting to like it's starting to start. I think there is a like I think it's a it's a structural problem, like a, a systemic problem, not a systematic problem for for your attack. Like as in the system, it's not the choices that the people are making inside it. It's the the actual system itself that kind of needs to slightly adjust to to be able to take kind of to be able to take advantage of those strengths of each of them individually. I sort of wonder whether Adam O'Brien has come because obviously you know he, he coached attack um, at both Melbourne and the Roosters. I actually wonder whether he's come with his own way. This is how attack's supposed to be in the NRL, rather than this is how our players are best used, yeah. and and it sort of just hasn't worked because I know I remember when he first got the job in Cuba, Crunk went, he's the best attack coach I've ever dealt with in my life. You know, I've never known anyone in rugby league that coaches attack that knows attack like Adam O'Brien does, and we just haven't seen. We've been the worst attack. You know, for a team that made has made the finals twice with him, we've we, we've been we've been awful in attack. Mm-hmm. So I just I just wonder whether he yeah he hasn't been willing to adjust to the the the, the skills of the players and hopefully because Milf's you know Milf at his best is an elite half. So I'm just hoping that maybe Milf can sort of you know translate Adam O'Brien's game plan onto the field. Yeah, and I think you can see it's starting to work better on the right hand side. Like even like it goes back to that. Point, but... Like coming around to the right side of your attack is slightly better than like the slightly. I don't know what the actual stats are, but it looks to the like as an eye test better than that opened up sort of left hand side where like it's not a it's not a reg like the the Melbourne Storm thing is everyone it's like those cages with the motorbikes in like where everyone's going like full circle right around everyone plays their part perfectly whereas KP has an element of slightly stepping outside of a structure. And the second that he slightly steps outside of a structure and take advantage of something, the system doesn't fall into place around him to be able to kind of take advantage of that. And that's the slight difference. Like, we had it with Kane too, like where it was, like, he could do things that no one else could do. And the second that he did, like, step to the left a bit, everyone had overrun him and it was too late. Brett, I, I, yeah, I that's, wanna... that, that's what we forget about, the, the, the Jared Hayne experience. Like, their attack was really bad when Hayne was, Probably at his peak there for most of the time. It, it wasn't until two thousand, you know, two thousand nine when it when, when it clicked because Pierre Parramatta's attack before that, Hayne was a freak, and their attack wasn't great because you're right, he 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 was so good that he would break the structure up. Yeah, Bretto, I, I want to take you to what I thought was the turning point in the game on Saturday was the CHT drop ball off the kickoff. And, and and I think that was actually one of the reasons I was not, and again, I don't, I don't want to, I was a bit down on the win and I'm, you're right. The win's a win. And I, was, I, should, I wasn't down. I was just in a bad headspace. But that that CHT, like that drop ball, we, we literally score off the next try. And um, good friend Harvey G uh, actually messaged me. He says, that is the easiest try you'll ever see in the history of the Newcastle Knights. And, and he's absolutely right. Tuala sort of went over untouched. But to bring it back, that CHT dropped ball, that, that's us. Like, that is that is yeah. what we do. We go, we score, we take back the lead, we drop the ball from the kickoff, and we fuck the rest of the game up. And I'm like, it's that's nice what, to be on the that positive. That was us in the um, game against Parallel last year. Yes, yes. And I was like, that's it's great to be on the positive side of that for a change, but that's not going to happen over rounds 13 to 25, or, uh, over rounds 14 to 25 for the rest of the season for us. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. My hope is, but that we that we actually seen a few signs where 
oh, how do you put it? We, we saw we saw a few signs where the attack clicked enough that guys can get down and watch their tape, and that'll help them. So Warriors that have scored a few soft tries. And that just breeds confidence, and it shows guys what can work. And I'm not saying, you know, you're not going to go through a good side like, yeah, that try the Tuala scored, but mm. it actually showed you that all it took was a, was a good pass from the bottom of the scrum, a bit of KP footwork and a good pass, and it's a try. Mm. And that try and that try might not necessarily be a try other times, but that at the very least that's going to get you quick play the ball because the very least Tuala is going to get in some sort of space. So it might get you quick play the ball with the next try. You can just go one off the ruck and, and barge over. Mm. I just I just hope think those little moments can give you a little bit of confidence, a little bit of understanding of how you can curate more opportunities. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with uh, agree with all of that. I think what I did like after after we did concede that early try in the second half is that. The, the Warriors really didn't get a sniff for the rest of the half. And and that is very unlike the Knights that we've seen this year. I mean, even in those first two or three rounds when we, we, we seem to be playing good football, we still allowed teams to get back in in the second half. Um, Andrew Voss, fucking um, over his commentary, he went to great lengths to say how poor we've been in second halves this year, right down to even we've conceded uh, a try in the last five minutes of uh, 11 out of our 12 or 10 out of our 11 games this year. Um, I, I want to ask you about the Marcelo Montoya sin bin, though. No, no sin bin for mine. Uh, penalty, yes, but that was not 10 minutes in the bin. No, nah, no, nah, I agree. No, nah, that, that wasn't a sin bin. It was very, very unlucky, but, you know, bugger him. <laughs> you uh, you take the wins that you can get. Mate, we'll, um, I, I want to sign off on the Knights game so that we can move on to the real big one, the Eels versus the Raiders. But um, I, I guess what you've said in terms of we can take some positives out of the game, mate, we're going to need them. We've got the Panthers in um, two weeks, t- two weekends' time. Yeah, well, you know, we scored, what, 18 points or whatever it was against them with 12 men? Yeah, we took a piece yep. of piss, mate. Yeah. Uh, will... we'll, um, we'll roll them. What I will say about <laughs> what I will say about that game is that we are very much more a chance against them post Origin one than we might have been against them a couple of weeks ago. I, I think that is the one thing that does give me hope is that we can um, do a Tigers and just possibly drag an illegitimate win out of there if we can um, and use some of that momentum from the Warriors game. They're, they're not silly, even though, you know, there's a, it's obviously a Sunday game, so there's plenty of time to back up. You know, Cleary won't back up. You know, they'll, 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 they'll rest a few guys. But, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll beat us. I'm not, I'm thinking, but I think, I think you know, it gives us a chance to, to be competitive in that game because I think, you know, barring injuries in origin, all our guys will back up because we have to put our best players on the park. So, you know, I, th- I think we can be competitive in that game. Um, you know, we're not going to win, but, yeah, I, th- I think. And that's all we need. If we can just show something there, that then helps. Because our, our draw gets really soft. You know, so if we can just show something there, it might, you know, it helps us roll into the rest of the season. Bretto, we'll move on from the Knights game. Let's get on to the big game from the weekend. The um, the heart stopper to finish the round. Uh, the the Eels managed to get the chocolates down in Canberra, 28 points to 20. Our man on the scene, Pete, um, massive Eels fan. Take it, take it away, Pete. What was your uh, what were your emotions um, post game? Uh, the results, the the winner, as you said, over your ex coach. Um, how good? How good did you feel to be an Eels fan after that one? Uh, very good. It felt very satisfying. I will not lie. I did have a cigarette. Um, <laughs> I think the, I think the my, like, my favorite thing about it was that like if the Eels run away, it's easy to smash someone. Like right, Cartwright can be behind the back passes and you can master someone all day. Like 
that's not the hard bit. The graft is when those teams that match up okay against your strengths are the ones that you're like you beat because of you sticking to your system. Like the the Sean Lane off the short pass from Nathan Brown to finish the game when the game was in the balance was something that even if it goes wrong, <clears throat> I'm more than happy for us to try because like it's us red like we're gonna have to redline for four weeks to even have a chance at getting to the grand finals, you know what I mean? Yep. And there's no point making it if you're not going to win. So, like, Murata Niakore trying to take someone's chest off. Very happy for that to happen. But RCG running 30 metres out of the way to ta- to help tackle Jordan Rapana, even if he is rolled off, and then Whitehead towards the side. I'm, I'm more happy at the RCG effort than I am at the miss backing up for it. Do you know what I mean? No, I think I, I do know what you mean, because because the Knights essentially had the game in the bag against the Warriors, uh, and and we still, you know, we we I think we had an eight point, we won the by eight points, and we still had that that try line, um, just solid defence to hold up that last try in the end to at least not give them a consolation try at the end. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and I think like the the problem is that we had with that man uh, kind of like Ricky Stewart knows what they are because he probably you know cemented them in. Um, the like you know the poor wrestling, the letting people get offloads, the um, the red zone aimlessness, like those kinds of things that we have and have the ability to under fatigue particularly, like to to produce, weren't we're still overcome by you know one on one effort from Gutho at the line where he's finally getting himself in a position to get across there to make that last tackle when when we run out of defenders. If it's the, you know, the like for me, the thing that this team is going to have to get good at because we're not going to beat Melbourne or Penrith or, or the Tigers or, or or the Sharks who who kind of match up for us in 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 ways where they're either probably like institutionally better than us or can be better on their day. Our, our like I, I liken it to kind of like a tug of war where when like. You like your set, our set, your set, our set. Our counter punch under fatigue was probably the only real difference, um, except for you know the finish of their set. The finish of their sets didn't help them at all, and and that kind of quality. And even though our sets were the end of our sets weren't bad, like Mitch was putting those things twenty meters out instead of five. Like those those kinds of things were we were better at when it came to particularly under fatigue. Like it, it, it kind of, they were the, the things that I thought separated us from them, as well as like when it came to the second wind or the or the bench, um, they did they did get a lot of meters, but I thought some of them were about our patience and our wrestling and us getting an extra man in to be able to, you know, we'll give you an extra five meters, but we'll get three seconds to get an extra set line. It's those kinds of you know trade offs that we were doing, and and I think the the one thing that really worries me though about Para is. Is the thing that you know has always worried me. It's that decision making under fatigue. So, like you know, passing mm-hmm. the ball to Junior Paulo last year, for example, or in this game, it was when we were um, like really, really gassed, and they were on top of us, and we were working out of our own half. We were just that we started to get real one dimensional in attack, and it was that, and and we had some poor set finishes. I think that was a real problem for us, and that's the one thing that you know, like makes Penrith sexy to watch because. Yao, uh, Yo, and, and Fisher Harris are running forward, and then behind them comes, you know, Luai and Kickout. So there's like sets of 
people coming at you. And and it's just not a, a, a discipline for us where then, you know, one out, Papa Lee's taken something, RCG's taken one out, Nathan Brown comes on, and even though he's in actually, like, you know, a, a, a bit of a differentiated value proposition in the sense that he runs hard, like punching a hole in people isn't going to work as well if there's only one of you. And the lane try, I think, is the best highlight of that. Oh, sorry, the lane break for the Brown try is the mm. best highlight of that, where the second two of them run forward, Everyone outside on the, in the defence looks like an idiot. Like, it's not – I don't think it's difficult. The other thing is, like, I think they wasted Tomoko or, or, or that centre. He reminds me of, like, those bulldog centres of, of the Balgana or Willy Calaria, where I'm like, why isn't this guy getting a lot of ball? Mm. I'm like, he's fantastic. Um, I, I think the – like, that was weird. That, that you know, going from 1816 to 2016 up to – it wasn't uh, – wasn't the worst decision and probably didn't change the outcome of the game, but I think it definitely put it on it. Like if you're talking about like a Bainesian kind of thing, like thought process, it definitely put it on a different trajectory that it def- than it definitely could have been. If you know Jack White gets the ball and runs over Mitchell Moses for a try, it's a, it's a very very different kind of game. If if, if we had um you know not uh, if they hadn't made that decision, but I still think that you know I was the one thing that the couple of things that I was really happy with was. The micro efforts, particularly of Gutho and RCG, um, and the the kind of the way that when it came to like that tug of war timing or that counter punch, that we were there to be able to deliver it. Um, mm-hmm. that, yeah. That thing. And I think the one like if you said to me what was the what was the one thing that was the difference between our teams, I would say it was that second wave. So like we were consistently attacking the same way whereas they dipped a bit and when they dipped we put like t- 12 points on straight away and it, it was those kinds of counterpunch that i was really proud of because that's what we're going to need like we're not holding melbourne to you know to to just 12 points if we don't have a great day we're going to need to score 24 or 26 points and that yeah. comes from counterpunching no i agree with that uh, pete is this the best that a parameter eels halves pairing has played this century uh, i mean the the, the peer uh peers, geez, sorry about that moses and brown just seem to be doing all the right things and clicking together um in ways that we, we we're not sort of used to seeing from from Parramatta t- uh, teams certainly um certainly uh not over the past couple of decades yeah um i would say definitely um <laughs> But the thing is, like, it's not, it's built off the back of, like, and it might be one dimensional, but it's built off the back of, like, a punishing, like, even if it, it's a, even if it's parody, it's an absolute punishment to get to that parody for the other team. And that's yeah. the thing that I think really benefits two dudes who like to run the ball. Like, Dylan Brown, like, feels like a, almost like a rugby union fullback playing rugby league it's it's good to watch him run with the ball and stand up and he's going to get a singles most injury i just hope it's not in the last eight weeks of the season because he's so <laughs> like because he's so strong at keeping himself upright do you know what i mean like we, mate, a, we we've got bradman best in our bradman team. We know exactly what you mean yeah it's, it's that kind of thing and and like when miss moses gets in a mood um it's you know it's pretty sexual to watch them like favorite thing about it is that the tigers let him go so it's there's probably a, a jewish reason to have a you know an erection when that happens mate the eels are sitting in fifth at the moment you're halfway through the season is can i just quickly ask before we um before we wrap it up have they 
exceeded, have they missed, or have they met your expectations in terms of where they'd be at the halfway point this year? Uh, I'd say it's pretty, it's actually met, I would say. They haven't exceeded and they haven't underwhelmed. They've underwhelmed, like, in certain games, like the Tigers one, for example, but I'd say overall the trajectory is exactly where you expect them to be. Like, they're Mm. not, they don't have that, like, they've got form, like, they've got form on and off, but they don't have the class that, you know, a Melbourne or a Panthers do, but they're they're there, and I think I'm I'm pretty comfortable in saying that, you know, I'm, it, it's those institutional teams that kind of worry us, like the Roosters, for example. Yeah. The, um, the the Sharks with those big boys who come forward and that like willingness to get engaged in that. Um, I I I fear like Penrith on their day could beat us 69 and not even blink. Yeah, but they could do that to any. They could even do that to the storm. They showed they could do that to the storm. But I, I kind of, I'm, I'm very happy with the fact that, like Brad Arthur or the recruitment and retention team, have built a team where it's going to be an effort for them to do that, and that that effort isn't likely to be met like consistently. Do you know what I mean? If we play them in week one of the final, and then we play them in a grand final, I, I'm very comfortable by the time that that happens. That they will have been like it's going to wear them down, or at least it's going to be in the spot where you know it, it's more of an advantage for us than it is for them, uh, and that's kind of where I'm at. But do I think we can win? No, um, I think like we would have to have something go right four weeks in a row. Um, if we don't come in the top four, and we'll be like probably you know in that bottom half of the eight, so we'll need something to go right four weeks in a row. And I'm just not sure that we can redline for that long. Um, Brett, I'll, I'll, and we need to. I'll get I'll get you in on this, mate. I'm, I'll, from an outsider looking in, where do you think the eels are at? Are they? I think they're certainly exceeding yours and my expectations. But but where are they at, and where can they go this season? No, I'm I'm with Pete. I think that they're this. You know, the way they're built, they're a team that they're they're an effort team, and and that's hard to consistently win when you're an, when you're an effort team, but. I actually, as you know, like I was, I was low on them going into the year. So, but I actually think that if they stayed injury free, they could easily be the third best team in the comp. Only wow. because I think, only because I think how well their halves are playing, and their forward pack is is exceptional. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, and they're the two key things to, to finals football and, and and big games. But I agree with Pete that it, you know they've got themselves. I think they've wasted their early part of the season. You know, they've had the Penrith and Melbourne wins, and to be, win those two games, they'll be sitting fifth. I think is a waste. Boys, I'll I'll, I'll get um, I'll get your thoughts as well on the ex Eels coaches team, the Raiders. Where, where are they at as a team? I mean, we're five and seven. I think it's an indictment on this comp that. We're only two wins out of the eight. The Raiders are a win out of the eight. Where, where are the Where are the Canberra Raiders? Are they? Are the they just are rubbish? Yeah, they're not. They're, they're rubbish. They're, they're they're not. They're they're you know they they win their share of games because they've got some effort plays. You know, you've got Josh Papalese and that. They're um you know they'll and they've got a pretty big home advantage in Canberra. But I, I think you know they're in the same they're in the same tier as us. For, to be honest with you, you know they're they're not a spoon team, but they're a sort of a a tenth to fourteenth team. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't hold too much faith in their ability to damage the comp. Um, I, I kind of the, the they thing damage themselves that, more than the comp. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Maybe someone pulls a hammy in the cold weather. That's a bit of, <laughs> they kind of like. I don't. I don't believe that Ricky Stewart's able to 
consistently like like get teams tracking in the right direction. I think he's a he seems like a very good motivational coach. It's a bit Kevin Ruddish, if you think about it like that, where it can be popular very quickly and very easily, but sustaining that for a long time is very unlikely. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's kind of where he's at. Uh, I also think that, like, it's not all his fault. Like, I, like I know personally, it's not sexy to go to Canberra. Like, you would have to get Englishmen because it's as close to England and Australia. <laughs> oh, bull, I disagree with that. You've obviously never been to Tasmania. Tasmania <laughs> is the closest thing to England that Australia has. And it's just not like it's not a sexy place. It's a hard sell to get you to go. And, like, the rugby league career isn't for the 35 to 50-year-olds who want a stable income. It's, like, it's for the, the 18 to 30-year-olds who want to enjoy the work that they're putting in. Um, and it's just, so there's a hard sell there, so they're behind the eight ball. But they're not doing themselves any favours with, um, you know, some of the setup and the way they're going about things. I think, um, you know... They're, they're, they're going through a generational change in, in the, the makeup of the team. Like those young kids that are there are very fast and very strong. I just think that um, they're not going to succeed because of the, the kind of um, environment that they're in more so than their actual ability and their ceiling. Boys, we've... Um... I mean, we, 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 all, we, all, we all have jokes about Parramatta in 86. But obviously, Canberra are the second longest thing, and they're and they're much much further from winning any comps in Parramatta. Are. So what do you now, do? To me, to me, they're the they're the they're the bottom rung team, and and you know, and, and bar one magical run, you know, that led into a prelim and then into a grand final, they've been nowhere for nearly thirty years. So what do you do, Brennan? What, what do you do to make a, a team like the Raiders successful again? I mean, off the back of everything that Pete said, that's going against them. You know, we find it hard enough in Newcastle as it is, and, and we love rugby league here, and we've got this big sort of base for it. But what do you do to make the Raiders successful again? I don't know, because, you know, they've got a huge um, nursery too. You know, that whole they've got the entire southern part of New South Wales and the ACT. You know, they it's one of the biggest rugby league nurseries in the world they've got. Mm. But I think, I think their biggest problem is that AFL's taken the hearts and minds of that entire part of the state. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I really think you know, Canberra. The Canberra crowds lifted. We you know when they had that successful team, but and the crowds are still okay. But I think that, um, yeah, they really struggled to um, to to produce the players they used to because of yeah, the best athletes go to go to AFL. But um, I don't. I honestly don't know. I don't know how a, you know a place like Canberra and with the, with what they have can be as bad as they've been for so long. I, I genuinely have no idea. <laughs> It's um, just off the back of that quickly, uh, mate, while I'm thinking about it and while you do mention AFL sort of taking the hearts and minds, I'm thinking more in terms of rural areas in general. Sad news uh, over the weekend, the uh, Gyra Super Spuds were uh, all set to celebrate their 100th year uh, anniversary in first grade or as a club this season and they've had to fold. Uh, they had sponsors on board. They had some uh, players ready to go, and they just couldn't get enough numbers, and they couldn't put a put a team together. So that's uh, you know the Gyra Super Gyra Super Spuds are a um, they're they are a a, a fairly um, 
well-known brand, as it were, in country rugby league, and that's uh, that is a very sad outcome and something for rugby league to be keeping in mind. Boys, I um, I I'll tell you one thing, mate. I think I think that can I just say I think country footy is going to get to the point where there'll be two competitions: there'll be Northern New South Wales, there'll be Southern New South Wales. You can't; it just can't be maintained. No. Yeah, the teams will have to come Agreed. from areas now rather than towns. Boys, I want to get onto some questions. We've been chatting footy for a very, very long time. So, um, to, to listeners who have stood by us for this episode, we uh, we thank you for uh, uh, maintaining the the rage with us. Um, I want to jump onto some of the questions though. Um, we've got uh, work underscore from underscore bv over in, uh, in over on Instagram. He said, uh, and he just had this to say and ask about the game on Saturday. It was one of those rare occasions where the sin bin worked in our favour. How much do you think our team will improve if we get everyone back on deck? We've got 12 games to go. We're four points from the top eight, but we have a lot of teams to leapfrog. What are our chances, Bredo? Um, It's all down to whether things click with Brayley back. That, that's that's the hope. Yeah. You know, our, our draw soft. You know, we've certainly got plenty of games there that are very winnable if we play well. I, I haven't given up hope with the finals. We'll, we'll just be making up the numbers if we make it. But, I, you know, the, the hope for us is Brayley. You know, how big a difference does he make? And we, I honestly think he'll make a huge difference. Um, I, I would, The four and eight that doesn't worry me if, I, if I'd seen more consistent effort in the first half of the yeah. season. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? It's just been the up and down nature of our season that's sort of – you just you just don't know what to expect from them one week to the next. Pete, I um I want to ask you this next question because this is something that we've actually been chatting amongst with the uh, Robbie M judges, and uh, I'm keen to get again an outsider's take on this. Um, and I'm going to expand a bit on the next question. Matty Moy underscore on Instagram said, uh, "What? Who does Matt Croker have to fuck in order to get more than 16 minutes on the field? I'm putting my hand up to volunteer." Now, Matty Moy, we do appreciate that, but mate, get in line. There are several of us ahead of you um, who are um, volunteering for that effort with Croaks. But um, Pete, I, I want to ask you something about this. We, we've noticed Adam O'Brien has this tendency to use his 17th man anywhere from 15 minutes down to five. Why, if you put yourself in the head coach's shoes, why are you doing that with a team that's already struggling? Why aren't you giving as many minutes as you can across the board to at least conserve and uh, use energy efficiently? Uh, I think it would be one of two reasons. The first is that, like, that experience isn't necessary for, for number 17, like, as in those particular people. When you when all your injured players come back, they're not going to be in the top, say, twenty. Um, yeah. I think I think the other reason is that like if you think that there is a benefit long term for you only playing sixteen and using seventeen as that like impact player, then like you might only say to them, you're only getting fifteen minutes, so go out there and have a footprint. Um, that's the only two things that I can think of. For me, it for a long time. That the four on the bench were thought of as, you know, like a there's X amount of work that has to be done. So yeah. why don't you share that over 17, not 16? I think the 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 problem is that if you get enough people that can perform at a level, then it's a, a tokenistic effort to assume that like 17 is going to be able to do it. The 17th. And I, I completely to... agree with that. If you seven if you seventeenth man's a semi Sasaki type, you might just inject into the game. But Croaks, like everyone agrees, Croaks in our best seventeen, even at our strongest. He just is. And he's a workhorse player. You know, like to me, playing Craig the 15 completely negates what he is. It just, you know, to me, you're better off to play another guy there in that role because 
Kirk's is not an impact guy. He's a workhorse. It just, yeah, it makes no sense. But anyway. Um, like, you can use a guy trying to do all of that work for 15 minutes because there are those guys who, you know, might be looking left instead of instead of right when they need to be. And, and it might be just the fact of giving that kind of person a spell and that's the max spell that they need to be able to deliver the other 65 minutes, if that makes sense. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Um, Karabko wants to know, given that the competition doesn't have enough quality halfbacks to go around, what should the Knights do to ensure we don't miss out in the future? And Mfro1 has uh, already given a suggestion saying, put Clem at seven. He's got the best hands in the team this season. Um, I think we've sort of covered it a little bit before already preemptively. Um, Milford does us a lot of good in the halves. Uh, you can sort of understand why the Knights by all reports, are looking at him long-term. I mean, Barry Tui said in his column a couple of weeks ago they were already trying to see if they can undercut the Dolphins and sign Milf up um, beyond this season. Yeah, I think that um, I think that's, that's the play from the club and they know, you know, we, we, to try and keep Milf, I think it's probably still a long shot because of his relationship with Wayne and, you know, going back to Brisbane. But, um, you know, I think the key is if Milf can enjoy his football here and, and the Knights can show that with him in the team, you know, they're going to be a finals team, that's the advantage because obviously the Dolphins are going to be a few years away from the finals. But, um, yeah, the, the, they're right. Like, it just worked out so poorly for us. For the first time in well, forever, we've got massive cap space. I've got a million bucks in cap space. Mm. And we've got, there's no guys on the market worth buying. It's just it's just ridiculous. And that's because, that's, that's because of the Dolphins. Yeah. Pete, thoughts? I mean, like, it's it's a it's a like I think it's a personal decision for Mill. Do you want to move back to where your family is and where you know like some of that trouble might happen, or where you know you feel like you could have a good lifestyle, or do you want to be in that kind of um, the cocoon in Newcastle in a sense and be able to play and enjoy yourself? Like, it's a it's a trade off that he's going to have to ask himself. I think if history's taught us anything when he made that move from Canberra, it's that he likes that that family and that you know. That South Brisbane kind of connection that he has there. So I, I reckon he's going to go to the Dolphins. But you're kind of uh, like the the ability for you, like your differentiating value proposition is very, very different to what the Dolphins is going to be because that, like those Brisbane teams don't control the media that much anymore. Does that make sense? Like there's not as a safe cocoon there for you. Yeah, well, the, you know, he, at the end of the Broncos there, like he was in trouble every week. Like, you know, I'd think that it, well, I don't know whether. It was hanging with the wrong people or whatever, but he certainly, you know, there was certainly no, I'm back at home, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm safe, I'm in a comfortable environment, I'm with my family, you know, he's in trouble all the time. So our hope is that he's realised that being away from the Brisbane area is, is a good thing for him. Or maybe being in Newcastle, you can get into trouble and nobody talks about it. Correct. Uh, um I'll quickly jump over to Twitter. There are just a couple of questions here that I actually really want to have a have a chat about. Um, the word doing the rounds, this is from Vittori, uh, Vittori at Acoulter84. Our thoughts on the Elliott signing. The, the, words, the word through the press is that Adam Elliott is uh, joining his uh, other half and uh, coming to Newcastle. He's signed on with us. Good signing, bad signing? Oh, you know, I think it's for the right money. It's a perfectly yeah. adequate signing. You know, he's, he's a first-grade standing player. He plays in the back row where we're short. It's a great signing. The best thing about it is, but the Canberra, Canberra fans are so dirty on him. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> like the Canberra, we gave you Canberra gave you a lifeline. Oh, congratulations! You paid him bugger all, and he's played a few minutes for you. You know, as if he owes them. Like, yeah, mm. give me, give it a rest. 
I want to jump onto the last question here, and this is a perfect segue into um, Origin. We've got Thor Laycock at Thor AWL. Which is the bigger disrespect? Clemmer left out of the Blue Squad or King BDE left out of Queensland? <laughs> oh, it's the BDE energy, mate. How, how, the hell, how the hell is Big Dick not in that Queensland team as horrendous? And, and, you know, and the man named Boodoo knows all about the BDE energy out there. <laughs> That bench, that bench is so thin. I want to feed it for a dollar a day. Yeah, there's not a lot of depth there. That's pretty obvious. Like I don't, I don't have the highest opinion of Pat Carrigan. He's playing better, but I tell you what, I could take the hit up off the back of Tate Haas and feel pretty good about myself. I think like they've been. Oh, using that's that's, the, that's what I love. I love most about that. People saying how the Broncos, you know, the guys like Carrigan and that are playing better this year because Payne Haas skittles dead blokes every run. <laughs> and they keep they keep using Payne Haas then either like before Carrigan, which is fine because that gives you like two good stuff. But if you kind of and then they don't want to pay Payne, uh, they should pay him whatever they're paying Carrigan on top of himself. But then also like the the what he does then at, at different times they're using as a as a fourth instead of fifth tackle hit up, which means then that they're like in those hit-up sets, he's not getting the one before the kick that the slower play the ball is. And I think that um, yeah, that, that's a that's a really good for me, a really good another really good thing for me. It's like a really good indicator for me that like the like there is it's going to be hard to get that kind of advantage in Origin where where a pack carry is going to be super useful. Yeah, that. that that that's right, and we've seen that, and we used to say that a lot with New South Wales. You know, you look at blokes that. Um, like guys like Heidi, you know, where they were such so dominant players in club football, and you wonder, you know, why were they just so so in origin? It's because you just you just don't quite have that, you know, that extra bit of space. You know, every hit up is two two meters shorter. You now every tackle is a little bit harder. It's um, yeah, yeah. It's those guys that yeah. do pretty well at club football that, that don't have a bit of X factor about them that really struggle at origin level yeah. in the forwards. And if you've ever, like, if you've ever played football and kind of experienced that, you know when the game is too fast for you. And I think that, yeah, absolutely. Like, like when you've reached your peak, and I think that that kind of, um, that kind of thing, if at Origin, it, like, there is absolutely nowhere to hide. But what it then does, if you are or not up to that speed, is that you, you, it really starts to affect the the system that affects everyone around you, and that's when you lose fifty now, or you know, like. Used it like when Latrell and, and Turbo ran right through us, or when, um, you know, when <laughs> Aiden Guerra and that Queensland team smashed you. And you, could see, <laughs> and you could see everyone except the Morris boys had given up. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it was that, like it was actually an actual give up and surrender both times. But like the, the obviously the, the one where Queensland won is a bit more. Like it was um, just an absolute outclass. Pete. Surely Queensland go into. I mean, they won't, but they should go into this as favourites. They've they've got um, quality across the park, but I think, as opposed to the last two or three seasons, this is a Queensland team where all their players are running into form at exactly the right time of the season. They they are prime to um, to take a series, uh, take another series win uh, in Origin. Mate, you can't make it. Don't just come out here jinxing. <laughs> like I, I look at those teams and I'm like, there is such a class in, like the the uh, obviously the, the spine of New South Wales, but that um, 
the the absolute uh, what I would say the absolute kind of the class that that pervades that whole New South Wales team isn't really there in the Queensland one. There's like a there's a there's a there's a hot form to a couple of them, but there's not the same class, and that's the difference I think between a ceiling and a floor. The New South Wales ceiling is just as high as the Queensland one, but their floor is levelled above where the Queensland floor is. And I can't believe I'm going to say it. We've got to bring back Kevin Walters. That might be it. You want me need? Please, Lord, bring him back. Only. Bring him back. I um my concerns about the Blues team, uh, the centre pairing, and I. I did um, message um, uh, I did message our mate Harvey G a little bit about the team during the week. I was just like, it, surely, surely Brad Fittler has said to Stephen Crichton, the premiership winning centre who has a formidable combination with one of our wingers. Yes, you, he, surely he said to Stephen Crichton, no, you're starting. Don't worry, you will start but I'm going to name you on the bench to take the pressure off you leading up to the game about, you know, having your first start in origin. Um, but you'll be starting out on that. And that's, I just, I, I don't understand Whiten and Staggs in, in the centres. It just makes, it, it just makes no logical sense to me. Because Freddie thinks Whiten's a good defender. I've heard Freddie say numerous times, Whiten's a good defender. Freddie's but he's idiot. not. That's as simple as that. Whiten's a... He's an awful defender. He's an yeah. awful defender. Terrible. Remember, remember the game at Campbelltown, the first game back after the um, when the league got paused and we played uh, Canberra Campbelltown and KP yes. just putting put him in the next into the next dimension with a simple little part. But KP is half his size. Yeah. Just, I, I don't know. I have no idea where this idea that Jack White, the good defender, has come from. Yeah. I don't know if Queensland's going to have the. Like even parity in the forwards to be able to then start to even think about like getting inside and outside. Listen to him talking about. Yeah, listen, like, I was just, I was like, oh, we won't. Oh, well, we don't have depth in the forwards. What the fuck is this? Holy shit! Like, like Pat Carrigan and Lindsay Collins. Pretty new, mate. Pretty new. Yeah, I've got the flu too. <laughs> <laughs> Almost, almost didn't turn up for the show for the podcast because I got the flu. So <laughs> to... Oh my! But I, just... I just don't know if like Junior Paulo and Cameron Murray and Isaiah Young, I, like they're going to have a subtlety and win a section of the field that I don't know if Lindsay Car- Lindsay Collins and Pat Carrigan and um, Tino have in them. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not like we won't have the effort. And I know even to like a hungover, like give Cameron Munster 8,000 beers now today so that by <laughs> next week he's ready to go because like, I just don't know if we're going to be able to to match the, the subtlety that you guys would have through the middle of the field. Then it won't matter who's in your centers. Like the three of us could be on the centers and pull back to New South Wales at that stage. And then it won't matter. Um, I tweeted that this week. Our big advantage is the scrum base. Yo, Luai, Cleary. That's that's where yeah. we win the game. If if we win the series, that's where we win the series. I mean, the fact that Liam... It'll be those guys putting forwards. It'll be those guys putting forwards, like, past the advantage. Line. Yeah, that's right. Those guys coming in the middle where they put the forward. The front. Um, for Queensland, I really like Ruben Cotter at 13. Um, I, I, I but he, think but he offers nothing in attack. My concern is he, he's, a tackle, he's a tackling machine, but he offers nothing going the other way. I just and think I reckon, that... At origin, he's not going to make 60 tackles without missing one. He's just not. Look, I know I this... Not... Yeah, you go, mate. I just, you know, like you just... I don't know. Like, you should be in the team, don't get me wrong, 100%. But 
but he just he offers nothing in the to a modern thirteen. Put him at probably on a plane. See, I I think because I think Origin transcends logic, <laughs> and I just think Lock. Yeah, because Queensland are playing. There's no yeah, logic yeah. amongst that lot. <laughs> but Lock forward, North Queensland, picked for Queensland. This just screams of Dallas Johnson, and Dallas Johnson was hot garbage. But for three games a year, <laughs> he was Wally Lewis. And he would come, he would play Origin because he was built for Origin. And I just reckon there's something about Ruben Cotter that just says Dallas Johnson 2.0. And I, I think he's going to, I just think he's going to, this is going to be, he's going to be in his element here. Fantastic. <laughs> um, I think I'm, I'm worried about like Queensland to, to match your creativeness will probably have to play, you know, Harry Grant and Hunt and DCE. And if you play those three, and Munster, you're then looking at probably one or two less, like not meter eaters, but one a bit of starch that like is going to let mean that like you're coming forward, and we're going to have to try and go through, and and they're two separate things. And that's the thing I'm worried about. Even if it is, and like my problem isn't like your centres; it's it's kind of our second row that that might struggle because yeah, Kurt know, Capewell and and Kaufusi, that that that's not good. Like that may not have the 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 actual ability to be able to distract from what could be your centres for our centres to be able to be able to do. I just yeah, but that was the twenty twenty. That was the twenty twenty series. You know, like Kate Will was there, gave White a bath, yeah, and that's because this is my other concern as well. Valentine Holmes and Stags have literally marked up on each other earlier already this season, and Holmes absolutely owned him. Like he just he absolutely owned Stags. So. Yeah. I'm I'm just not convinced that Katoni Staggs is going to be this attacking weapon that everybody thinks he is. I, I think that if, if he gets the opportunity, we'll see if he takes it. But uh, I'm I'm not con- I, I, and particularly watching the Knights this season and seeing the difference that sort of uh, Dane Gagai has made, but then the struggles he's had when his forwards have sort of um, you know not been operating. I've realised just how crucial your edge defence is on the centre player and I just, yeah, I just see big problems there for New South Wales. I'm, I think it's only stands there's one time in the series where we replay it for the next five or ten And But I also think that like, that like not only is he like gifted like that with the ball, New South Wales, and, and it's probably Newcastle's problem too, you have to be able to set yourself up to put that player in that position to be able to use that differential that they have. Do you know what I mean? Like to use that mm-hmm. And in origin, it's slightly harder and slightly quicker. Because, but, but the thing that I'm, I'm, I'm if I'm just a player, I have a faith in, is that that's more Cleary side of the field. Yeah, I was just going to say, Tony, and and like, I, I don't know if there is a better halfback Maybe Mitch Moses. <laughs> I do lean towards, you know, nines world champion. Boys, it's um, look. It's, it's as always going to be a thrilling seas series um, in any event. Origin always does throw these things up. Um, Pete, mate, we're we're cracking on to two hours here. I think um, I think we're going to have to call it quits. So, uh, but um, mate, thank you so much uh, for joining us this week for helping us uh, live through what it means to be a Knights fan, even the misery of winning for some. And um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us this week to have a chat. No worries. 
Braddo, I'll um, I'll let you get get on with your week and um, just very quickly, I'll, we will thank our, our major sponsor, A Plus Contracting and Poly Welding. Please do see them for all your contracting and poly welding needs. And um, yeah, we'll um, we'll we'll see everybody uh, next week. We'll try and do a review of some sort um, for the nights and see how we're going in general. But um, yeah, thanks for staying with us, everyone. Thanks for listening, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to everyone again soon. Thanks, guys. friends would like to thank you for listening right to the end you are our kind of people find other great sports podcasts in our family by subscribing and remember social media isn't a bad place you just need to follow the right people